Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Handel. Today, we have a friend of mine as our guest. Last time, we spoke to the director of the Innocence Project of Florida, and we're doing a series of projects because the Innocence Project of Florida is 20 years old. So we started with the director, and now we have Dean McKee, who I've known for several years. His story is amazing. So listen up. It goes all the way back to December of 1987, December 20th to be exact. The story ends on January 9th, 2018, just about a 30 year span. So in order to cover this amazing saga of injustice in barely 25 minutes, I'm gonna walk Dean through his long journey from incarceration to freedom. As there's so much to explain, we're going to hit just the highlights. So Dean, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on. Good for having me, thank you. All right, you're very welcome. So here's where we're going to begin. Where were you and your brother, Scott? You were 16 years old. He was 18 on December the 20th, 1987. Well, we were in Tampa, Ybor City, and uh, we were at clubs and drinking and fighting and <laughs> fighting and drinking and fighting. <laughs> okay. What, what took place that night after drinking and fighting so much? Well, it was just, I just want to go home. We got to go home. You know, we got to go across the bridge to come back to Pinellas County. And uh, he wasn't having it. He was, he was in his, I'm a badass kind of mode. I'm sorry if I cussed, but. That's okay. <laughs> and he just. He would not listen to reason. He wouldn't stop. He just from one place to another place. And, you know, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go home. You know, and it just kept on and it escalated into, sadly, uh, a death of Mr. Isaiah Walker. And, and where was Mr. Isaiah Walker that night in Tampa? He was at the, I believe it was the Tampa Museum. And why was he at the museum at night? I guess he was, they say he was homeless, so he was there. Okay. Um, and also Scott assaulted somebody before even encountering Isaiah Walker in the same location. Okay. So this man was, this was kind of his place for the night and he wasn't bothering anybody. He was a Vietnam veteran. Is that true? Yes, ma'am. Right. So what then went down? Uh, you, oh, what we forgot to mention is you and Scott at that time were identifying as neo-Nazis. Is that accurate? It's skinhead bullshit. Yeah. Okay. So what happened that night on the steps of the Tampa Museum of Art? Well, he, he fighting this one guy on a like a little park area that goes up the stairway mm -hmm. so he goes ahead he's fighting this guy and then he goes up that way so I go after him let's just go 
You know what I mean? It, it had enough, and you know, I'm a little kid. I can't drive, uh, and it's just like we just need to leave. So by the time I got up there, he was already fighting. Uh, Mr. Come to find out, Mr. Walker. Right, right. Uh, and and what was the end result? Remember, we've got a lot of lot of ground to cover. Right, he was he was stabbed. He was stabbed, and did he survive the stabbing? No, ma'am. He did not. Okay. Now, I'm going to throw you a curveball. You confessed to killing Isaiah Walker that night. Yes, why? What? Why did that happen? Uh, misguided loyalty, really. Mm -hmm. but, misguided uh, loyalty. But uh, Good way to put it. I was juvenile. Mm-hmm. He was an adult. He had a prior record. He was right. on probation. And then he tells me that uh, I'm going to be an uncle. Mm -hmm. And they're going to put him in the electric chair. And if I did go to prison, I wouldn't be kept longer than 21 years of age, which is a lot. Well, meaning that at 16, you'd be out at 21, hopefully. The longest, that was what was described to me. Right. I was ignorant because you were considered a juvenile at age 16. Well, I had no prior record. I was a juvenile. I see that whole thing. However, you were tried as not a, as a, not as a juvenile, but as right. an adult. Yes, and yes. and when you try a child as an adult, you get adult time, right? Yes, ma'am. Right. So you were there was a space of time between that night in December. And you were arrested, um, both of you, in March of 1988, following a tip from your father to the police. And, and please correct me if I get any of these facts wrong. Both you and your brother were charged with first-degree murder. Is that pretty accurate? Yes, ma'am. Okay. The twist in this case is really astounding. Scott, your brother of 18 years, testified against you as you as you said just a while ago that um he would have been sentenced would have been eligible to be sentenced to death in the state of florida how how did that was that pre-planned that you would take the rap how did that work no i was if any what i was told if anything comes of this that's how the conversation was described you know what i mean he, he, if anything comes to this, you got to take the fall for this. You got to take the hit for this because blah, 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 blah. Now, who said that, Dean? If uh, anything comes of this, you have to take the... My, my sibling. Ah, I see. So as the younger brother, and as you said, a lot of loyalty, and I, I guess you looked up to him, you did what you were told. So in a sense, in essence, I should say, Scott got away with murder. How long did he serve? A little under a year. That's what I thought, right. That's what I thought. So you, you then went to trial. What, what do you remember about that trial? I'm sure this is not an easy conversation, Dean. I understand. But I, I appreciate that you're walking back with me. Well, it was, uh, it was rushed through. It was. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was uh, a three-day trial, and the judge, uh, Harry Lee Coe III, uh, 
they, he went by the name of Hangem Harry. <laughs> um, he had a tennis match scheduled, I believe it was, or it might have been golf. I was kind of in a daze at that time, but he had to hurry up and brush through this uh, because he had a, a tennis game. Uh, I was given six jurors, which I should have had 12. Uh, I mean, uh, relitigate all the stuff, but um, it, it was a fast, uh, it, it served the purpose in the community, which I understand, mm -hmm. um, to quell that kind of stuff that was going on at that time in, you know, American history. Um, and I guess the prosecutor was nip this in the bud kind of thing. And so it didn't matter. It, it was a predetermined outcome. And uh, my sibling was the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me that you confessed um, a few podcasts back. I had a, um, the, he's actually the world expert, Dr. Saul Kasson on false confessions. And, you know, he emphasized how often kids of your age, younger, a little bit older, are coerced into a confession. But your situation was not quite um, the fact that the, the cops made you confess. It was, you know, almost like an arrangement, right? That this is what you would do and take well, the rap it was uh, Go ahead. It, it wasn't a uh it wasn't an easy thing either way right um so it was i guess the proverbial rock in a hard place there was no mm -hmm. easy choice um would i have done it different yeah sure now with all that perspective of course you would yeah but at the time I'm sure you felt, what choice do I have, right? And so you went forward. So your sentence was life in prison with a minimum mandatory sentence of 25 years, but you served 30. And we already said you were tried as an adult. What, what were your thoughts getting a sentence like that? You, you certainly didn't expect it. You thought they're going to go easy on you. Well, I thought they, they, yeah, they would go easy, you know. Yeah, I broke the cookie jar kind of thing with mom and dad. You know, just admit you're wrong, take your lumps, which mm -hmm. is be as severe as if you keep saying, well, I don't know what happened uh, kind of thing. Um, but also, uh, there is a perception in this country that they treat juveniles. I mean, they're starting to now because I followed that as well. Uh, through my years of incarceration uh, with juvenile reform. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that they could, that they would, that they could or would do that. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a great deal of sense. And fortunately, as you mentioned, um, there are, have been finally changes to that mandatory sentencing and long, harsh sentences for kids, but we're still we're still giving those sentences, and and right. too ma too many kids serving life without parole, which means exactly what it says that uh, life is life. 
now they are uh, giving them the opportunity of a, of a hearing. Um, right. Not enough of these kids. There's still too many of them waiting in prison after the Supreme Court ruled that we can't do this anymore. Right. So, yeah. So for the next 16 years, you learned a great, great deal by visiting, of all places, the law library in prison. And um, would you say you were a jailhouse lawyer? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I didn't litigate anybody's case or just, what just, they call a, a writ writer or stuff like that. I was, I was focused on my situation. Your case, right? Yes. Your case. And what? What? How did you even approach a law library? I mean, that certainly must have been foreign to you. <laughs> how, how, how did you do that and learn, I, you know, whatever you learned? Well, I had a love for books. So I would, I would go to the library and it was kind of peaceful in that section of the prison. Yeah. And I love history. Uh, so I read all the classics, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't look like it, right? That's but, fantastic. Uh, I love the classics. Um, and then I was talking to the law clerk. Um and then I started, you know, am I going to just sit here and take this or am I going to do something about this? Who, who motivated you to even go to the law library? Were any of the other guys? Well, the, uh, the, the law library and the library are interconnected. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Right. So they're connected together. So it's like looking in there and, and it's like, and you start thinking. So the motivation... I don't want to seem uh, narcissistic, but it was mine. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, That's uh, so studying the, the, the you know, Florida law of criminal procedure and things like that, and the rules of the court and shepherdizing and, and stuff like that. And uh, I researched and I did pro se, which let, uh, Seth laughs at that because not 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 uh condescendingly because he, <laughs> he's not like that but it's the the court and um you know the that system just they see a pro se litigant come before them they're like yeah whatever tell us tell us the, the those of us who are not uh, law savvy what is that term Oh, Actually. you're doing it. You're doing it on your own. You're not. Oh, I see. Okay. You're not represented by um, you know, an attorney. So you're all all out there by yourself. You're by yourself. And and what were you looking for in that law library to find for for well, your? There, there were a lot of issues, and you know, Seth's well aware of those. But you know, the Innocence Project has actually expanded their purview of the cases that they they accept but uh you know i took my case pro se from you know trial the the boilerplate pro se uh motion that you know just gets rubber stamped but you're always hopeful as somebody incarcerated especially somebody wrongfully incarcerated you you just this can't happen to me right so you keep hoping but the odds are, you know, you, you might as well play the lotto. You might as well. That's right. So, so what was your your 
main focus? What were you hoping to achieve uh, with filing the motions? Um, that well, you there, there, I was, well, I'll talk how I talk and Seth might yell at me later. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I was, I was fucking dead as far as litigation. I was stopped, time barred, uh, missed, you know what I mean? Uh, there was nothing for me to do except my my life sentence. Mm -hmm. And then there was a change in uh, the DNA procedure for post-conviction relief. And there was a, uh, a window and the, it was uh, posted in the, in the law library of Florida Law Weekly. And I hand wrote and researched uh, a motion and wrote it with a little golf pencil because they, <laughs> they don't want to give you pens or big pencils because you can stab somebody in the neck right. eye or something. So with a little golf pencil, I wrote out my own motion pro se mm -hmm. uh, for post-conviction relief based on DNA evidence. Ah, and, and what we need to say to people is that back in 1987, <laughs> What was the story with DNA? Well, they, they, I mean, it was in its infancy and they really didn't have it. So That's right. That's right. Um, so you, you knew that going forward um, and when, about when did you kind of discover that you could file this in terms well, this of- this was about 2007, I believe. Oh, so then they were starting to use uh, DNA. Oh yeah. Yes, yes, oh, for sure. So, so, so you wanted- the DNA testing from that night and like um, DNA under his fingernails or blood clothing or items, there clothing was items at the scene. Okay. Things of that nature. And what happened with your request for DNA testing? Well, it was summarily, well, it was granted, but they, they didn't properly follow up on doing actual um, you know, the DNA, do the testing, do the comparison swab and things like that. And luckily it was around 2011 uh, that Seth and the Innocence Project came into play to actually get that all straight okay. because they didn't do the testing. They didn't do this. They didn't do, but that's years of my life just waiting in limbo. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm ignorant of this thing. Sure you are. I mean, so, most, most people are, right? So. so when Seth Miller came in and he asked me, and I met him, and I, I was denied. Mm -hmm. Then I came back and had the legal call and to file for a rehearing. And he got me right back to court. And I will tell you, and he might shake his head because he's a humble man, but he put the whoop ass on him. <laughs> And he got them to do ex nothing extra, but he just wanted them to do what they should do. To do, yes, right. that's right. Yeah. So by yourself, you were spinning your wheels. But as yep. soon as the Innocence Project, in the form of Seth Miller, stepped in, things began to change. Now they didn't change overnight, right? No, right. No, Correct. not overnight. So in two thousand. Uh, 11 that's kind of when they stepped in um, and they did have a victory 
I think it was around there where you were, ex when they finally did the testing, you were excluded, right? Yep. Yep. From, from the, from the uh, DNA sample. And so, a little, a little side note, the, they wanted to do their lab, which is the FDLE, which is Florida Department of Law Enforcement Lab. Right. And like, you know, these people are kind of shady. And he's like, nope, just let them do it. Okay. Because if it goes to their lab, there's no disputing their lab. And I was like, okay, so, right. all right, I'm in your hands. That's and, right. They know uh, what they're doing. Seth, no, Seth knows. A lot of people plays checkers, and they might be like really good at checkers, but Seth plays chess. <laughs> uh, he's he just yeah Very he good. he got them to do what they did not want to do, and he did it with a smile. And as a result, now we have about five or so minutes left, and I I have a just a few last questions. We managed to get through this whole sa saga. Um, there was a motion to vacate your case in 2013, but but even with IPF by your side the whole way, it took several years to actually get you out. And wh when when did you walk? When was your case? I, I was exonerated January 30th, 2019. Right, right. That, that's a long, long way from when you reached out to the Innocence Project. But my question to you is, where would you be without them, right? You'd still be where you were, right? I would still be in an 8 by 10 cell uh, with another man and a toilet. That's right. That's right. So what I want to get to before we run out of time is you've now been out five years and you have your own little business. And what what is that? I learned to tattoo. Uh, unfortunately, it's illegal, and I've been to confinement a few times for tattooing. Yeah. It's, in prison, it's called destruction of state property. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, everything I have is because of Seth, Miss Amy, uh, Miss Melissa, uh, right. Montel, uh, the beautiful staff uh, from IPF. Um, the wheels turn slow, but... But they turn. Yeah, but once they, once they, but Seth is a pit bull. He does, once he gets the, his teeth into something, he's not <laughs> letting go of that. And and thank goodness he didn't. A, well, he's a righteous warrior. He believes in what he does. He wants right. to help right wrongs. Um, but true. like I, I have been home because of them, but I still have them in my life. I was that was a that was a question I was going to ask you. How how is that how is that that they're still in your life? Well, it's amazing. It's a comfort because uh, we I, I've actually told people this. Like, how, how do you how do you adjust your mind to that long of incarceration? Right. I went from the Flintstones to the Jetsons, <laughs> but also we're we're socially awkward. We we don't know how to really. But that's why Anthony Scott comes into play with the IPF, the, the social worker. Right. Um, but also, if I have issues or concerns or anything like that, I can talk to Seth or somebody from the IPF. 
can always call, right? Yes. And they're always on the other end. That's yes, great. I want you to tell our listeners about your your little tattoo business. What's well, it called? Well, it's uh, Inside Ink Tattoo Studio. Inside Ink. We're in Largo, Florida, which is a little south of uh, Clearwater. Right. And that's so great. You got your own your own business. And you are married to a, a gal that I met a few years ago that you've known for many, many, many years. Like, I think well, in, I, from I high knew, school, right? I, I knew her at 15. Right. <laughs> hard, hard to believe. Hard to believe. That's really great. So things things are certainly a whole lot better for you now. And I, I really had, like, one last major question how did you manage to survive all those years in art doing art doing art it gave me a good purpose uh, That's in there they make you you know take that pile of rocks and put it wheelbarrow it over there and then go to lunch get mm. counted, and then come back and ah, i don't like it over there move it over way over there now there's no purpose to no. prison. And they, they allowed you to, or encourage you to do your art or? No? I lost my, my, I call them my prison books. Yeah. Uh, it was tattoo paraphernalia, which let's be honest, it was an outlet of, but I've, I've managed to get them back through commissary. And, That's great. Uh, but art gave me a purpose of doing something that was. Uh, creative. Creative and positive. And positive, both, both. Yeah. And and I'm bet that you got respect from some of the uh, staff, maybe somewhat. I've actually tattooed multiple. Uh, they used to be, we call them my boss band. Yeah. They tattooed their families. They drive wow. two and a half hours from where they live to come get tattooed by a big dummy. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, this has been terrific to talk to you, Dean. I haven't seen you in several years and it's yeah, wonderful, wonderful to see your smile and to know that you are doing, you're doing well. So I so appreciate I, your. I, I grew a beard. I see you did. Yes. <laughs> the, we, my my we listeners can't. We weren't allowed to grow beards in there. So no, now you can. Now you can. It's wonderful to see you. And you Thank you. When I met you, you were very gracious. Uh, you gave me some pointers because it was, you know, I'm in alien territory of, of you know, public speaking kind of stuff. And you were very comforting, and, and but you were very intelligent in your, your guidance uh, to make the process easier. So I, I thank you so much. Thank you. So next time on Pursuing Justice, we will meet another client of Innocence Project of Florida. Her name is Stephanie Spurgeon, and she has her own story to tell. She wants to tell it, you know, without too much help and input from me. But Dean, you were great today. We all thank you for being with us, and good, good luck. Thank good, you know, be well. Thank you for having me, Miss Harriet. You're welcome. All right, join us next time on Pursuing Justice.